And then I tried to find a publisher and it got rejected, um, you know, <laughs> snide comments like, you know, does the world really need another counting book was one of them. Right. Um, anyway, do hippos really uh, go berserk? Do no. they really? Right. right. And so the publisher ended up being, you might have heard of him, uh, Mike Kaiser. Um, <laughs> because we talked all the time and I told him, you know, that I had this book, you know, that I couldn't find a publisher for. And he said, well, why aren't we publishing it? And I said, right. because you're a greeting card company. And he said, but we'll publish your book. So they did. They were my first publisher, my first book publisher. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne. I'm your host today. I'm also your golf friend, your golf counselor. And as such, well, I know you're already playing the Titleist Pro V1 or Pro V1X or AVX. Because as we've discussed here before, they've been completely reimagined from core to cover for more speed, precision, and consistency, and durability. All great things. But there's more that you can be doing with Titleist, and more Titleist can be doing with you. If you just go to Titleist.com slash Team Titleist, it's free. Sign up for Team Titleist. Just put your email in there, and you are immediately uh, given access to opportunities like prototype testing, that white box ball testing, pretty sweet, uh, special team Titleist events, and limited edition team Titleist gear. Sign up today. It's free. Free is a pretty good deal. Thanks also to Link Soul, Footjoy, Oakley, Links and Kings, and Scotty Cameron for their continued support of the book. Hey, thanks you for your, your continued support of the Golfer's Journal, for listening, for tuning in, for being part of the Broken Tea Society. Now, we've had authors on the podcast before. Hey, you know, I'm an author, but until Stephen King or King James come on the podcast, I don't mean uh, LeBron James, like King James as in the Bible, until they decide to pop in, you're about to hear from the best-selling author to come anywhere close to this podcast before. I'm talking about 70 million books sold, along with uh, how about 500 million greeting cards. So created, drawn, and sold by none other than cartoonist, poet, lyricist, and golfer, Sandra Boyton. The name sound familiar? If you don't know her, trust me, you do know her. Her, or at least your, your kids do, and you did from when you were a kid probably. Her irresistible puns and fluffy, big-eyed animal cartoons, they are iconic images. They're quite literally Americana. Uh, my favorite of which is the Scotty, the Scottish golfing terrier featured in Golfer's Journal 18, where we have some of Sandra's art and a great story about Sandra by Ryan Book. And why would she be featured on this podcast or in the Golfer's Journal, you might be asking. Yes, Sandra does play a little golf and her family does have a real connection to the game, but you might recall the backstory of perhaps golf's greatest developer, Mike Kaiser, and remember that he made his money in the greeting card business. So the story in the book and this podcast are going to help explain how Sandra and her cartoons built Band and Dunes and sparked something of a golf revolution. We'll also get into her music, her family, her relationships with the Kaisers, all that great stuff. So stick around for a listen, because next time you trip over one of your kids' board books or think, no way, my son or daughter... Uh, they they can't possibly want to hear that hippo book again. Well, maybe next time you'll pause and you'll read it with a little more energy in your voice, imagining all the fairways born from the pages you're holding in your hand. So just want to start by asking you, um, you know, Mike Kaiser doesn't, hold back in the story talking about the role that your work has had in creating um band and dunes and if we say and by extension if you go from band and dunes to sand valley i mean band and dunes sort of kicks off well some could say maybe sand hills but it really popularizes the remote golf movement so he says that your work financed band and dunes so it's not too much of a your, so your role in golf is pretty massive. 
Whether Absolutely. You, I, I'm going to take all is. the credit. You it's certainly should. not Mike. It's certainly not Mike's uh, unbelievable genius and um, commitment. It's it's absolutely all me. Bandon Dunes was all no. Absolutely, uh, Mike, I agree. I think if if you you know Mike, he is one of the most humble people um, imaginable. So no, I am proud to have had some part um, in some remote way of that. Um, and I mean, the course, as you know, all those courses now are are phenomenal. So yeah, very uh, phenomenal. Now, do you 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 do get out? You're not necessarily, would you consider yourself a golfer? <laughs> That's a very complex question. I've been playing it since is. I was five, um, and both my parents were really good golfers. And so it, it's just, you know, in my blood and in, in the family, but I've never become, and I, and I actually love it. I've just never become obsessed with it. So um, you don't have to so, be obsessed. I mean, you enjoy it. I thought it. you had you to do. be. Wait a minute. I I read your book. You have to be obsessed. Oh, you did? You're, you're, awesome. The Paper Tiger. Yeah. So come on. <laughs> no, I, I am certainly obsessed. I'm clinical. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> and I don't really wish that on on others. Um. So no, for yeah. you actually to just to be able to enjoy it, uh, good for you. And and not have it to be your entire life, your 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 <laughs> your living and all that stuff. Um. But you've and you can play it you can hit the ball well enough to you know in the story it talks about you did something pretty extraordinary abandoned dunes if you want to tell us about that uh, well i i did i um <clears throat> against all odds in every way i got a hole in one my first time playing there first time um, yeah <laughs> um and it was so it was way back in the early days there but i i never remember what years things are anymore um but um yeah, uh, it was kind of a phenomenal experience. Um, and my husband was there and Grant Rogers, the unbelievable, um, almost Chivas, uh Irons kind of uh, golf instructor, um, you know, was with us. Um, and one of the most um, unusual things about it is as he handed me a nine wood and I'd never hit a nine wood before. He said, yeah, this is the club you need. Wow. Um, and so, but literally this, the moment of impact, Grant said very calmly, oh, that one's in the hole. Okay. And then we watched it go in the hole. So, so it really was um, an exhilarating and surreal experience. How exciting. And look at you dropping Shiva's irons just oh. into the conversation. <laughs> As if you're not, you know, an obsessed golfer. I actually, I heard you were reading uh, Golf in the Kingdom. Is that right? Yeah, I had read it a long time ago. Actually, Mike's wife sent it to me a long time ago. Lindy Kaiser had sent it to me. Oh, my goodness. 25 years ago. Wow. Um, and my son, Keith, um, went out to Bandon Dunes this year as a complete. He drove out uh, from the east to the west um, as a complete um neophyte golf he he hadn't you know he sometimes hit a few balls he'd never played a round of golf uh -huh. and he had uh, a sort of life transforming experience there and he played um and had lessons with grant rogers um so i thought keith would enjoy the book and then keith is he's um he's a phenomenal actor and reader and he also can do a scottish accent um, so he's been reading it to me, and it's that's been a, such a different experience. Than, oh my gosh, that's um, so cool! Yeah, it's been it's been very cool. Well, it's got a vibe. I mean, the vibe out in Bandon is as close as you're going to get to sort of Scotland yeah. and America. Um, if yeah. you're going to find Chivas Irons wandering around somewhere, it might as well. <laughs> it, in the states, it might as well be out there. Do you go visit Kaiser's other courses? Because again, yeah. and we're going to talk about this: how your relationship with Mike Kaiser and your cards and books, um, you know, put him in a position where he was able to sort of finance these golf, um, these well, golf well, ventures. He put, he put me in the position where I'd end up talking to you on a podcast. So we uh, helped each other. <laughs> it's fair to say it was a good, a good partnership, a win, a, a, a great a win, yeah. win, no doubt. A, exactly. Um, yes. Do you go? Have you been out to Sand Valley and places like that? I've not been to Sand Valley. I've been to um, Cabot Links and Cabot Cliffs. Nice. It's beautiful up there, isn't it? Yeah, just um, uh, extraordinary. So getting to your relationship with Mike Kaiser, you come out of, you go to school. Now, where did you go to college? I went to Yale. Heard of it. 
Excellent. And I wouldn't be able to get in these days. I'll, I'll hasten to say that. I think that's what every alumni says. I say that about, you know, my wife and I say that about school and we all say, but you're, well, maybe we're right. I, I, I'd like to think that someone who sold 500 million greeting cards could get into Yale. But in, in any event, um, for 70 million books would look good on an, on an application. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but what's your SAT score? Their standards are really high They're these really, days. I don't know. Really, really high. I'd have to compete against all the other people with those exact same credentials. <laughs> you're probably so, and and they speak Chinese and I don't. So you know, I, I don't know. You're right. You're right. Um, so you go to Yale. How do you go from an you know Yale educated to to drawing pictures of these funny big eyed fluffy tailed animals? Um, well, I've always been drawing since I was little. Um, but the but the way it became a profession, um, which I didn't intend, was I was um, trying to help pay my way through school as an undergraduate. Um, and one summer, I guess it was after my junior year, I, I can't remember which year, uh, sophomore or junior, I did the usual waitressing thing. Mm -hmm. And it was my... Um, loathing of being a waitress and I tried really hard I just wasn't good at it um that made me the next summer say I need to figure out a way to work for myself and I need to figure out something I can do um that I'm good at and um uh, my my older sister Pam um made beautiful jewelry and I don't have the um the the skills to do something like that. I say to people, I'm not good with my hands and they laugh, but I'm not good with my hands. Um, and so I tried to figure out something that I could do that might sell. And uh, my uncle um, was a printer in upstate New York. And so he extended me the credit to that he would print um, these uh, greeting cards. They're very, very small um, sort of gift enclosure cards. Um, and so I I did them as outlines because it would have was too expensive to um, print in color, um, and then I hand painted over the summer uh, seventy thousand uh, <laughs> gift enclosures. Now when I when I say hand painted and it was that many, it's true, wow. but it was basically a wash of color on each, meaning just you know uh, almost personal assembly line, you know dip brush wash dip brush wash dip you know sure, um sure. and um it was kind of interesting but then i also sold them i traveled around um you know drove around visiting friends in various towns on the east up and down the east coast and then i'd go to their local stores and sell them so by the time i graduated you know a year later um you know i had a small business going but i was on my way to grad school and knew i wouldn't be able to keep it up and that's when I went to a trade show at the New York Coliseum, which isn't there anymore. And that's where I met um, Mike Kaiser and his partner, Phil Friedman. Um, and they liked my cards and I liked them. And uh, the rest is golfing history. It really, it <laughs> literally is golfing history. So, wow, you are like <laughs> selling greeting cards out of your trunk, as they say. Yeah. Um, and it's And you're doing well enough at it, it sounds like. I, is that a that's got to be kind of a struggle i'm sure it it wasn't i'm no? sorry <laughs> but, well i, I think wow. the timing was right somehow i mean i paid my uncle back he he had thought i would pay him back maybe in a year and i paid him back i think it was three weeks um Sheesh. so I, I well they're I, great cards so good for you know <laughs> they deserve their you were doing something you know, if people are familiar with them, I mean, you know, do you remember what your first one was? I mean, they're they're animals with some sort of great animal puns, and they're funny and thoughtful. And as the article points out, when you read it, you'll the article does point out um, <laughs> that it was very different than what was el else was in the market at that time. And, yeah, it was. but not everyone saw that, but Mike Kaiser certainly did. Um, yeah. So. Do you, do you recall what your first card was or your first pun? Yeah, I, I I do. I mean, the gift enclosure cards actually didn't have words in them, but my first actual greeting card type card, um, because before I went to the trade show, I did some more traditional like birthday designs and stuff so that I'd have a larger portfolio than the 12 
um, gift enclosure cards I'd been selling. And what were on um, those? The animals or just the? Yeah, the... interestingly enough, here's the most peculiar thing. One of them is a, a hippo with a small bird on its back. It's the most famous thing I've ever done. Is later the with with Mike's company, um, Hippo Birdie to use as a greeting card. Hippo Birdie there, to and I'd for, use. I'd forgotten this, but there the hippo and the birdie before it being a greeting card or anything are on. One of the first cards I ever did. Wow. Um, the first birthday card I ever did, um, which is still in print, um, was um, it's a three-panel thing, but uh, you know, just on the front, and it has a dragon looking at a, a birthday cake. You know, dragon has a birthday hat on, and the birthday isn't lit, and the, so the dragon blows, and then the candles are lit. Um, so that was that was the first card I ever did. Awesome. Um, so that's fantastic. So you meet Mike Kaiser at the trade show. Um, he likes what you're doing. The article mentions a cool moment that I wanted to ask you a little bit about when you decide, uh, you know, as you're making your deal versus, you know, $50 a card or, or a design, um, that you said, well, how about a royalty situation? Um, and boy, as we mentioned, 500 million <laughs> cards later, that was a good decision. Uh, well, where did that come? Really, is that how it really felt? Came a decision. Out? No, it wasn't really a decision. I didn't know what the normal terms would be, um, but my dad was a publisher. He was a um, he was an English teacher at Germantown, France, but he also, you know, published um, books on the teaching of writing for for teachers. Really, um, and yeah, so um, and you know, and um, pretty influential books, um, and so. I, I'd grown up around publishing, so I knew royalties were the norm. Um, and I also knew how well my cards did because I'd been selling them. So, right. um, and it was actually Mike's partner, Phil, who, who you know, they both looked at my cards and Mike had to sort of man the booth and Phil said, you know, let me take you out for, I don't can't remember what it was, a drink or coffee. <laughs> let me take you out. Let's talk about this. So they basically offered me a deal right away. Um and he said, we pay $50 a card. And I said, oh, well, uh, my cards sell better than that. I, so I would like a royalty. And he said, well, we could do that. We've never done that. He said, but I think you might make less money. And I said, that's fine. If my cards aren't selling well enough that I don't make $50 in the royalty, then I don't want you to pay me more than that anyway. So yeah. It, so it was, and, and he, you know, again, the thing that was so unusual about Mike and Phil is they were just as iconoclastic as I was. They were pretty old at the time. I think they were like twenty six or something, you know. So, <laughs> so, so they'd been around, um, right? You know, but but they had no problem saying, "Sure, why not?" And so they were so fun to work with on everything too. Huh. And you know, they they thought of everything um, fresh and um, and this is the way, of course, Mike still is. You know, my 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 son. I was just talking about Mike this morning saying uh, he remembered from Dream Golf um, where it talks about, you know, Mike buying, um, you know, land for for cash, you know, rather than and what an unusual and people kept saying, well, this is odd. But Mike, he he perceived perceived and perceives things um, absolutely independently of um, yeah. <laughs> of convention and of, of received wisdom. And heck, that's the kind of person you want to work with. I right. learned so much from, from Mike. I still learn so much from Mike. Um, yeah, he's extraordinary. What are some of those some of those things that, that you've learned from him? And I mean, that's, that is really interesting because, right, some of those traits you're talking about that you spotted in him early, I mean, you can say that certainly is translated into now this, this new life as, um, well, relatively new life, you know, as, as a golf developer and, and, and great yeah. creator of golf spaces in the world. Um, but what are some of the things that you're you think about Mike and say, well, wow, that's that's something that that he's given to me aside from well, all the obvious thing, things. I, he, it, well, he's absolutely working for Mike, you know, the way he built this company, it was complete meritocracy. He could care less, you know, what someone's prior credentials were or how they looked on paper, where they'd gone to school or anything. He doesn't even think about it. It's not like he's, Mike isn't trying to be iconoclastic. Mike is, is just smart and himself. Um, you know, one, um, 
incredibly inspiring thing to me that Mike did. And it's a longer story than this, but there was a young man um, who was my liaison on just art preparation at, at Recycled Paper, um, a guy named Brad Nicola, and truly young man. He must have been, I don't know, 23 or something like that. And he, um, you know, went to went to Mike and in most in most companies, by the way, as a new hire, you wouldn't be able to talk to the head of the company or one of the co-heads of the company. Sure. Um, and yet Brad had this idea um, that the company could could um, both be more nimble and save a lot of money by doing the separation, their own separations of cards. Um, and, you know, this is way back in the early days, you know, computerized stuff was pretty darn new. Um, and there's something called, I think it's, I think it was called a Cytec machine or Cytex. I can't remember which one, Cytex. Um, and so he went to Mike and Mike is the one who told me the story, not Brad. Um, so he went to, to, to Mike and he said that, you know, but it was a huge investment, both expensive expense for the company, but they needed to completely redo the basement of their building to make it uh, to be able to put the equipment in and then hire the staff. So Mike's response to Brad was, if you can if you can find out all the details and sell me on it, that's what we'll do. And that's what happened. And Mike put Brad in charge of the whole thing. Okay, that's that's the first thing. The second part is an extraordinary um, humanitarian, um, but Mike wouldn't think of it that way. He'd think it was just smart business because he doesn't um, pat himself on the back. Um, Brad got got sick with um, an AIDS-related thing, and again, in the early days of that. And Mike made it possible for Brad to continue working whenever he wanted and whenever he could. And Mike put someone in place who would run things when Brad couldn't be there, but she, and she was wonderful, she would then, um, everybody would step aside and do whatever Brad wanted and needed them to do while he could be there. And wow. it, it it's just an amazing thing. Sorry, I went on too long, but I admire Mike so much and um and that's the kind of person he is. And it's um and he would take he won't take credit for things. <laughs> right. So, well that's what's anyway. that, thank you so much for sharing that, right? Because I, I wouldn't get that out of an interview with with Mike Kaiser, I'm sure. Um no, yeah. but he deserves I I'm I'm it's wonderful to hear uh, about that side of him because, you know, as golfers, we, we bow down to him as, you know, for giving us great golf courses, but obviously <laughs> the stuff you're talking about means quite, quite a lot more. Um, yeah. that's, that's, that's very cool. Well, it's all of a piece though. The vision is all of a piece. So it's not that it means more. It means that, you know, integrity is being whole and having every decision you make and everything you do be part of a whole and not, you know, and that's, that's very much Mike. Mm. Awesome. Um, so your golf, your family, you, you grew up around the game. You alluded to that your, your parents were good players, but I think maybe better than just average golfers. And am I right? <laughs> well, my mom didn't start playing golf till she was in her twenties, but she was, um, a phenomenal athlete so she got quite good at it my dad was quite quite good at it um though never a scratch golfer i think he i think he got his lowest handicap was something like four or five um but um you know and a true lover of the game and, a, and truly obsessed with the game in all those you know when you know i mean the way in which you're obsessed with the game and my dad was obsessed yeah. i I love that. I admire that. I, it, there's a poetry to that. There's a there's a spiritualism to mm -hmm. that. I don't even know how to express it. it. I I admire it. And and he was just completely that person. Yeah. He was the same way about teaching as well. He was a phenomenal English teacher, and that same sort of obsessed, um, absolute commitment to it. I would have loved to know him because the crossover between you know I up until this past semester i was a professor of english at st joe's and um so the academics especially english literary types um crossing over into golf we need to stick together uh, but yeah, it, and see, it works but it just it works very well there's just a lot of time that you spend in your head there's a lot of time to think i played with right. an english professor down in texas who would 
actually read between shots, which was <laughs> he would do his course, pre- his class prep between shots. He was reading like a Juno Diaz novel um, as he's walking down the fairway, which made me feel so inadequate because. Well, that's I've, why he did it. He wasn't actually reading it. I know. He, he was showing it off. Me. That's right. <laughs> I'm like, I do my course prep on the walk into the classroom. Um, and here you're doing it between shots on the golf course. Wow. But yeah, academics, it's wonderful. When I, I love to hear about academics who, who love golf. But you weren't the obsessed one. What are your obsessions? Is it is it the art? Is it the next idea? Is it the next story, the next book? It. Um. It's all the things I do. I, I just have the best. I just have the the best job for me. I I. It's and it actually you know um, you know the way you describe uh, golf and um, it, the endless curiosity that you have. Um, it that's where mine goes is and I'm not naturally good at um at drawing for for example um i'm more natural at writing um but it's it's all a little bit hard one um and then my you know (laughs) sitting here i haven't been actually in, in you know in the recording studio um that mike and i have here for for a while because of um everything that's gone on and so just sitting here in this studio this is my favorite place to be is in a music studio um and it's certainly not a direction i ever would have um expected to be able to go and um it's been it's been exhilarating and um yeah hard, hard to even and and Talk about the kind of obsession you have to have to write and produce an album, and we've done six of them. It's it's night and day obsession um, with detail yeah. and with and and you have to both be process people. You know, Mike and I are both process people, and um, and and so you have to be infinitely curious about how things are put together or how you might be able to make them better or, or where you failed and how yeah. to fix it. Um, so I guess that's, you know, that's, that's where my obsessions are. Tell us more about the music. I mean, I'm so familiar with the books, the cards. Um, I, I not as familiar with, you know, the, the albums. Um, so are they based on the books? Are they different or is it different or is no, it different well, audience? No, they're boy, it'd be pretty hard to explain. I mean, I've I've described it as renegade children's music. The reason I started doing it, I have four children, and I when they were little, um the music um well meaning people give to children to listen to is um difficult for parents it's bad it shouldn't be it's very bad okay it's yeah terrible. very bad and and really shouldn't be and so when my youngest um went off uh to full you know to to, to first grade so full days of school um just by a whole bunch of coincidences i was um, introduced to mike ford um and we got to go <laughs> get to he was still in philadelphia at the time you know i'm in the berkshires um, and we got to know each other pretty well before we ever actually even met. <laughs> um, and um, we're the we're just the perfect match for this. I mean, Mike is a phenomenal um, musician. He's a wonderful pianist. He's a progressive rock musician, um, and also was um, instrumental in the early days of the technology of um, new technology of recording. Um, and you know knows everything also about synthesizers and so many things and mike nod your head if if it's right and shake your head if i've got this all wrong <laughs> so he's shaking his head in this fit no anyway um so so the overlap of our skills is good and the difference in our skills is also good and um you know, and we've done well. I mean, we have a platinum album and two gold albums and a Grammy nomination. So, um, so right. other I've people definitely besides... heard your music. I've definitely because we've. <laughs> okay. I mean, does it come up on Sirius? Because we listen to all the kids' channels on Sirius. So I'm, I'm sure it, I've listened to your stuff. It, probably, I don't yeah. know. I don't. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You won't. You won't have trouble finding it. Um, 
Awesome. And where we've actually um, just committed to doing a seventh album. Um, we're going to start work on it um, in less than a month. That uh, is so exciting. Gonna, yeah. So, so you've got uh, albums yeah. now, yeah. books, cards. Where does, how do you balance your day? I mean, what, what is a day in the life of, of Sandra Boynt look like? <laughs> um, you know, what, what's getting most, you know, the, the lion's share of your attention now? Oh my goodness. Um, well, aside from podcasts uh, or golf in the kingdom. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I tend to work all the time because it's what I love to do and I don't need much sleep. So, um, and, you know, three out of four of my kids live in the area. So I get to see them a lot too. And I've actually gotten to work with them because all of them are musical. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a rich life, um, and infinitely varied. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know. that's a pretty good life. I mean, that's a, yeah. anyone who can so describe I'm basically their playing life that 50, way is... I'm playing 54 holes every day. <laughs> yeah, you really... are. <laughs> your kids, how old are your kids? Oh, oh now you're going to quiz me. They are. <laughs> I don't need specific, uh, but like stage okay, in they, life. They, no, they are, they, are, they are 31, 35, 40, and 42. So do they have kids? Um, two of them have kids. So I have two grandchildren and one one is due on Christmas, so a third one. Wow, on exciting! Christmas. This is yeah. uh, I'm asking just because what is it? Is it exciting? What's that feeling like to, for your grandchildren to? Because all of our kids read your read report books. Um, <laughs> what's it like to see them uh, read? You know, Snuggle Puppy or something like it's, that. It's 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 just exhilarating, um, and um, you know, and also you know, um, both my grandson and my granddaughter are both. Um, both quite musical um so that's pretty exciting for me to because you know to to um have them know the music really well um i don't know it's all yeah it i i feel very lucky yeah of all the and well it's it's well deserved um you know obviously so hardworking and so talented. And then, you know, and you and have found the right people in your life and there's been a lot of success. Is there a favorite part of this sort of success? Something cool that you've gotten to do or everyone's, you know, one of those moments where you think, wow, this is, this is really something. Uh, I didn't expect this. Well, I mean, when you look up the music, you'll see who Mike and I have gotten to work with. Ah. And it's, um, it's a little jaw dropping. Um, um, so the experience of and and, and well, tell us you know, who BB uh, uh, King, what? Ryan Adams, Brian Wilson, uh, Stephen Eady, uh, Mark Lanigan. Um, now I feel like I'm being quizzed. Meryl Streep, Patty Lapone, uh, Meryl that, Streep, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, spin Doctors, Blues Traveler. Uh, Mike, help me out here. <laughs> uh, five for Fighting. Uh, every The list of who we have, Alison Krauss. Uh, uh, sorry, what? Weird Al. We're, we're, oh, Weird Al. We've worked now, with Weird Al three times. Um, now, now you're talking. Yeah. Well, we, and of course we paired him You know, with the obvious. He does a duet with Kate Winslet on one of our albums. <laughs> that is so awesome yeah. so yeah so it, it's been and i had thought i was going to be a theater director um so was that your uh, when you were going to school and you're going to graduate school was it for theater and drama yeah it was and that's what i thought i would be doing and um and then you know when um when i was pregnant with my first with my daughter my first 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 child i realized this is not going to make any sense as a career because you know and my husband um, was a long time um whitewater paddler expeditionist racer and so there was no way we were going to live in a city it would make no sense um mm -hmm. both with children it'd be hard but especially didn't wouldn't make any sense for his his training and competing um so but the but the way that that ended up resurfacing because i was in my early 40s when we started doing music i wasn't um you know, 
<laughs> 17, um, is that when I said I'm not naturally good at stuff, I'm really not. The first time I was ever in a recording studio, I said, I know how to do this. It was so familiar to mm. work with. Um, Mike, I don't remember who was, besides Adam, who was our first uh, recording? Uh, I mean, I know we worked with, with Adam. Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon, was he first? that's first? I'm trying to remember the first one. Isn't that funny? We don't remember. Anyway, I re but I do remember, um, Tom, I remember every single session that we've ever done. So, so does Mike. You just remember them. They're vivid. You're working with phenomenal artists. And you only have, you know, usually two hours of time. And it was great for me to find that I knew how to do that, um, yeah. to, to work with an artist and um, collaborate the way you would with an actor. Well, any, any great singer is a great actor. So, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. So kind of coming full circle a little bit from your original yeah. studies all the way back to, to the studio. Um, yeah. Well, I can't wait to listen to some of the music. Uh, I'm sure my kids will love it as well. Um, well, if, you, if they don't like it, don't tell me. <laughs> very good. <laughs> no, they're going to love it. And um, when you're ta you're speaking about, do you, where do you where do you live right now? In the Berkshires. Okay, in are, in New York or? Oh, not not far from not far from Tanglewood. So actually, it's the northwest, uh, sort of southern Massachusetts, northwest Connecticut, that sort of area, sort of nowhere. Oh, the Ber yeah, the Berkshires are up there. I'm sorry, I don't know what yeah. I was thinking. No, that's all right. right. Um, uh, <laughs> right. And is it true that you you have a driving range at your at your home? It it, it might or might not be true. Yes. <laughs> depending on I mean, how high the grass is so, so, right so it's not it's not yes it's not a well-maintained driving range and it's not a commercial driving range but yes i have a large backfield um with with flags in it um some of which i can reach um, with a drive and some of which i can't do you ever find yourself out there hitting balls i do yeah that's fantastic yeah you have a favorite club um uh, my favorite wood? club uh no well <laughs> sentimental favorite i guess my favorite club is a three wood um but i also but i also like a seven iron i like two of my favorites as well oh see there you go all the, all the best people know know these things <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so just to, to to talk just a little bit more about you know the imagery that sort of is so iconic um, and that you'll find in in number eighteen, which was is wonderful of you to share some of those images with us for the for the magazine. Oh, that um, was so fun! It was so fun. To it, do it looks that. like you had a fun time doing the doing the article, uh, yeah. and it's just such. It's a really when you read it, you'll see it's a really joyful sort of read. It's it's it's. Oh, and I got really to work fun. with my. I mean, my nephew is a superb golfer, um, and he's the one who did the photography, and, and I don't get to see him enough. I mean, he's mostly in New York City, so that was a huge bonus um, for both of us. Oh, that's awesome. And the, um, and of course, and the story by Ryan Book, uh, who did a, who just does a great job. You're going to, you're going to love reading it. Um, but as I was, Ryan, as... Ryan is the best interviewer I've ever had. I mean, other than podcast interviews, this is the best podcast interview I've ever had. I was about but, to but say, Ryan, Sandra, Ryan was amazing. Um, <laughs> no, 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 that's a very different. Because my next question was, who was the best interviewer you've ever had? Um, Ryan Book. Ryan Book. Uh, well, only the best at the Golfers Journal, of course. Yeah, yeah. So the images, is it? Did you know? Do you love animals? Did you know kids love animals? You know, they're they're the big eyes are, are really iconic. Was it just something that? Do you know where all that sort of comes from? Was it something that you'd been the kind of doodles or drawings that you'd done for a long time and now said, all right, I'm gonna I can make them do this seriously? Or and I hate to, that I just said doodles because they're not. I just I just <laughs> meant that maybe did they where did they grow out of something? Well, at least or, you didn't say cutesy. Sometimes people say, oh, your work is so cutesy, and I'm going. There's no, actually no. Let's be honest. Look at the images. <laughs> they have like a depth to them, and sometimes they're like kind of quite sad, even, but in a with a. A, a, maybe almost a dark humor to them. So, right, they're, they're profound and existential. Anyone can see can see that. Obviously, obviously. right, obviously. Um, 
I, I've been drawing animals since I was tiny. Uh, I wrote my first, wrote and illustrated my first book when I was four. It was very short. Um, um, <laughs> so, and it's, I don't, I don't know, but my animals aren't really animals. They're, they're kind of people. They have, do you know what I mean? They're, right. they're uh, anthropomorphic. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's just what I draw. And you draw them well. And I just wanted to ask you, so just looked up, uh, through my kids' book piles here, and three of our favorites, three of our um, most well-worn. Do you ever have to take into account what your book boards actually like taste like? Because I do <laughs> find the corners of some of these have been, you know, not only have we read them, but my kids may have teethed on them. Uh, That's a good sign. Well. That's a good sign. If someone ever, you know, has me sign a book and they say my child loves this and the book is pristine, I'm going. No, right. your child doesn't love. It. If someone right. hands me a book that I can barely recognize of mine, then I'm excited. Exactly. <laughs> you know? It's good. This one has been chewed and spilled on and sat on and left out in the rain. That's a good sign. Exactly. Well, three of three that I found were Muba, La La La, right. a favorite, Snuggle Puppy, mm-hmm. Blue Hat, Green Hat. Snuggle Puppy is a sentimental favorite for, for, uh. for me um, because that's one you can actually sing. Uh, and we would, you know, sing that. We, I guess you can sing all of them, but I would sing oh, that I to the kids. Oh, I want to hear you sing it. Go ahead. Snuggle puppy. No, I'm not singing snuggle puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm out of practice. They've gotten too big. Um, but you started singing Rubber Ducky. That's not the right tune for snuggle puppy. What is the tune for snuggle? Oh, fine. All right. I have you here. Give me the, what is the proper tune for snuggle puppy? You're going you're, you're gonna to have to get the albums, which I'm happy to send okay, you, by good. the way. Okay, good. I'm going to get the albums. We're going to sort that out. Um, because I was, I'm, yeah, certainly I was, I was singing it to the wrong tune. Um, but those were, there were probably three big books for you. Is, is there any, what's your favorite? What are your, what are your faves when you look back at, at the, at, at some of the work you've done? Well, Hippos Go Berserk is my favorite because it's the first one yeah. um, that I ever did. And, and the publisher of Hippos Go Berserk, because it was, and it's, and it's still in print. It's it's coming right up to its 45th anniversary, and it's been continuously in print. Um, it was rejected by. Uh, I was still a. I was a grad student uh, at the Yale Drama School, and they for some reason let me do a book as a January project. I have no idea. It was supposed to be something in depth in theater, but they let me do that. Um, and then I tried to find a publisher, and it got rejected. Uh, you know, <laughs> snide comments like, you know, does the world really need another counting book was one of them. Right. Um, anyway, do hippos really uh, go berserk? Uh, do no. they really? Right. right. And so the publisher ended up being, you might have heard of him, uh, Mike Kaiser, um, <laughs> because we talked all the time. And I told him, you know, that I had this book, you know, that I couldn't find a publisher for. And he said, well, why aren't we publishing it? And I said, right. because you're a greeting card company. And he said, well, we'll publish your book. So they did. They were my first publisher, my first book publisher. So I'm getting a sense here in the Kaiser. And I guess this goes back to what we talked about a little bit with my Kaiser. There's, there's a sort of a little bit of a, a that why not um, genius that I think is the mark of um people who accomplish really extraordinary things. And as you know, the, the, the quote of some people say, why? And some others say, why not? So, um, yeah. and you know, to look at that and say, well, we could do board books or we can do books as, as right. a greeting card company that, um, that open mind to that opportunity. That's not everybody has that or, and it takes, takes some courage. For sure. It, it, it takes so many things. The, the really interesting side, point about golf and that is I've been um, lucky enough to have two people in my life Um, uh, well Mike and Phil I would have to count as sorry a a team then they were both that that kind of visionary um, at Recycled Paper Um, my publisher and he's he's no longer alive Peter Workman um, one of my publishers and um, and the publisher of Snuggle Puppy, for example, is was also the publisher of Dream Golf, and um, oh. so and he was a very and I did not introduce Mike and Peter, um, so Peter Workman was very much that same kind of why not person, different than every other publisher, um, and and Peter's also the person who uh, put out 
um, Mike Ford and my albums as book CD sets because we wouldn't have been able to get a, um, you know, a, a label deal without any track record. And so, um, so the, the remarkable um, luck for me to have, you know, to have one person in your life that you work with, who's that why not person. I had two yeah. and they became friends, not through me. They became friends through golf because they were both, uh, you know, Peter was an avid golfer as well as Mike and they became friends and Mike, uh, um, you know, Peter published Mike's the book about Mike. You know, it's so that's cra- it's isn't that crazy. That's crazy. It's- so that and that, I mean, yes, for a publisher's can you know library to run from or list rather to run from Dream Golf to Snuggle Puppy is <laughs> probably unique in publishing for sure. Yeah. So you've yeah. worked with some really unique people. Yeah. Golf. I love how you bring it back. You know, not that that I've had. But you do have those as as people who live in and around golf. Sometimes those, whether they be connections or people who just happen to come together serendipitously, um, who are open or I, I've benefited from that. I mean, usually in this in in the sense of getting like to golf somewhere cool or meet somebody cool or whatever. Um, but you know, I I I can see that happening and and how that does happen in golf. Yeah. And well, you know, for you though, when you say I was lucky to have these kinds of people, you know, come into my life, it's got to be more than luck. I mean, what do you think? I don't know. What do you what do you think that it is that that you've had the chance to work with um, some really really special people, as opposed to just having you know someone come in and you know, to work with a publisher who does one book and says goodbye or does three cards and says goodbye. You found the good people. Is there any secret to finding the good people? I guess you tend to recognize um, kindred spirits. It's also saying Uh, no to a lot of people you meet. Well, and also, I mean, you know, to get back to, you know, Ryan Book, he's such an interesting golf story himself. He's a latecomer to golf mm-hmm. and, and an obsessive. That was so cool. I loved talking to him about about his own journey um, with it. So um, I like people who are obsessed, healthily obsessed, but truly obsessed with, with anything. Yeah, me too. Um, y- you know, yeah. um, and process people. You, <laughs> Yeah, you can't be a golfer if you're not a process person, for goodness' sakes. You know, you you won't you won't stick with it if you're not endlessly interested in um, all the things that you, you that you're so endlessly interested in the mechanics, the spiritualism of it, the non-spiritualism of it, the practicality right. of it, the, all the things. It's it's endlessly interesting. I like what we're poking uh, around at here. This notion, yeah. so this you know, obviously finding kindred spirits for people for you to work with, important. But then how maybe golf helps identify some of those. It's it certainly yeah. in my life has helped identify a lot of those because, like you said, if you golf, you're probably um yes you have you can get obsessed about something you're goal driven um you are not you know you you see a hope you can see the long sort of range plan of of where you're trying to go with something um because golf is not instantaneous or nor easy and um it also means you have to like you have to be curious um yeah golf requires that sort of patience and curiosity to stay after it uh, right. if you're in it for just like a quick sort of fix or a quick laugh, um, there, yeah. are, there are better pastimes for you. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And the, in, the both and the, the history of it is so interesting too. And you, yeah. you can't help, but feel the history of it. Um, especially if you get out of your golf cart and don't use the golf cart, you can't help, but connect with the extraordinary history of the game. Are you a walker? Sandra Walker versus Carts. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Um, and you can't always, as you know, um, right. on courses anymore. There's not, you know, they're hurrying you through. But I think it's a different game if you're not walking. It's a very different game. It moves at a different pace. You notice it differently. You process it all differently. Um, yeah. So it's a drag when you do have to take the cart. But that doesn't happen at wonderful places like Bandon Dunes, which is a place <laughs> yeah. that exists. As and as Mike Kaiser tells us, whether you want to take the credit or not, 
<laughs> um, it exists because because hippos went berserk. Let's be honest here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and or um, you know, hippo bird day. So, which is awesome. <laughs> Just absolutely awesome. Wow. Well, I, I, yeah, I guess one thing I hadn't said too, I was lucky to spend summers where there was an uncrowded walkable golf course, um, you know, that my grandfather bought all of his 17 grandchildren. Uh, we had a family membership, so we could, you know, he got us golf lessons and we would go up there together and you could literally play one hole, three holes, you know, and leave, you know, that, yeah. that kind of. You know that's amazing opportunity. Where was it's that? that? It's in Stamford, New York, a tiny little town in the Catskills um, that my grandparents were in, starting in the early twenties, I think. Um, and you know, we spent my dad being a school teacher, we were able to spend the entire summer right. not in Philadelphia. Um, and it's still, it's a really cool little course. If you ever have a chance, you should make a pilgrimage to Stanford. Yeah, I guess they call it a country club. It's really just, it's a, it's a small golf club. It's a really cool, cool course. I'm in. Good. I'll meet you there. Let's do it. Yeah, because before you, when you'd said um, that you lived in the Berkshires, I was I had the Catskills in my brain for a second. So let's go to the Catskills um, and we'll, we'll play there. Where did your dad play in Philadelphia when you guys lived in Mount Mary? Well, mostly he played in the summer. So he played, well, actually my dad played anywhere that he could. And I've played tons of, I was realizing the other day before I was going to talk to you that most of the golf that I've played in my adult life was with Mike Kaiser and all, all over the place. So, yeah. um, you know, he's really been my, you know, adult life golf mentor, but he would come here to where I live, the Hotchkiss School is not far away, um, and it's a wonderful historical nine-hole course. That's right. And yeah, my there's... dad, my, my dad would meet us here, and Mike and Phil, and we'd play scramble, and you know, relatively frequently, it was very cool. That's got to be a pretty good day when we talk about that... dream, dream foursomes. <laughs> yes, that's got to be. Day. A, that's got to be a good one. That's yeah. so, that's fantastic, Sandra. I can't thank you enough for taking the time for sharing your story and your images, you know, in the book. Oh. And, and also now I've got a lot of you know, wonderful music to catch up on. Well, and, I'm, I'm uh, thinking, I want to thank you in return. I want to thank you for having me. And I want to thank you for all the good you've done for golf, which is a lot of good. And it's impressive. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really do. I, I appreciate that. I hope we get to cross paths and, and play some golf or even, or not, or just would rock, as, rock out on the studio. As long as you promise not to laugh at my chipping. I don't laugh at anyone's chipping. I take chipping dead serious. I would not okay. laugh at your chipping. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fair enough. Uh,